a code red for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. Changes in ice sheets, deep ocean temperature, they are irreversible and will continue for generations to come. This is the very last moment when we have in which we can actually hope to stem some of these disasters. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins and if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome to the only podcast out there that talks candidly about the latest environmental issues. And you would have to be living under a rock if you hadn't noticed the increasing levels of areas of the news agenda that are covering this. We were there way before it was trendy, Dale, I think we can say. Morning. Yeah, morning, Ian. Yeah, I think you're right. I certainly feel that. Just want to start like this, actually. The sky's the limit, the new name for Series 3. Yeah. Uh, what it, What is it about? I, I thought it was quite neat. We kicked a few ideas around, and I thought, you know what? It's all about the sky. We're bound to be talking about sky diamonds and the CO2 that we're extracting from the atmosphere to drive beer pumps. You know, that's going to that's gonna rumble into the season. But also, of course, it's atmospheric carbon content in the sky that's the absolute measure of the climate crisis. So for me, it's all about the sky. And the sky's the limit is also a positive message because I think there's so much that we can do. And that's what I like to talk about. Absolutely. And there is so many moving parts now to this story. that, And then they are interconnected. I hear government ministers say, oh, no, that's a separate thing to that. It's like, oh, bollocks, that's not a separate thing. It's absolutely all part and center yeah. uh, of this debate. I mean, the energy market, of course, which is your world, three more companies collapsing this week. Yeah. I mean, it's one big jigsaw puzzle. That's the way I see it. All the crises that we face are interconnected. They're all driven by the two big bad habits we've got burning fossil fuels and factory farming of animals. Everything springs from that. Human health crises, wilderness depletion, wildlife extinction, air pollution, you name it, everything, just everything. So, yeah. And, yeah, three more bankruptcies. Uh, well, who knew? Well, we did. We said there would be six more last week. Um, there's three more still on the list. We can see them coming, and I think it's just going to be a few more days, and, and, and then maybe there'll be some more of the winter because – we're looking at a possible cold winter now being forecast, which will exacerbate the gas problem considerably. So really, it's a question whether nukes come back online quickly. Wind is back. The cable to France won't be connected very quickly. And what will the global demand for gas actually do? A cold winter in Britain is going to make our position even more difficult. Yeah. Um, loads of uh, comment on the mailbag this week. It's funny we call it the mailbag, isn't it? There isn't the mailbag. <laughs> that's, that's very old school. Very old school. It's like a swap shop on a Saturday morning. <laughs> a busy, busy mailbag. Um, but lots of um, lo- lots of comment coming in. Gemma says, uh, good to have you back, guys. Missed the podcast over the summer. Now I've caught up. Um, Rachel on Twitter says this, have energy prices feeding into what we were just talking about started to calm down? like Boris said they would. Um, and you just hinted there, Dale, that, that they may be going the other way. I'm going to say and this. Again, the rule of thumb is if Boris says something, believe the opposite. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was about to say. Uh, has the fuel crisis abated like Boris said it would? Or no. Is yeah. Brexit transforming our lives in the way that Boris said that it would? Or no. Uh, energy prices, no. No, they haven't gone down yet. 
yeah, we're still in the middle of these multiple crises. You know, we, we've got the shortage of workers on farms. We've got gaps on supermarket shelves. We've got a shortage of care workers, HGV drivers. We're buried in red tape now between us and Europe, which is super ironic because part yeah. of the reason the argument for leaving Europe was to end red tape. We've now got more than we ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we're in a right old pickle, but I'm enjoying it. Half a century's worth of trade agreements and diktats to be unpacked and then rewritten. That's yeah. kind of where we're at, isn't it? So, yeah. Although I have to say, for the benefit of uh, Brexit supporting listeners to this, my bananas are looking incredibly straight these days, Dale. So, you know. <laughs> it just sounds wrong. Bananas are not meant to be straight. <laughs> I, know. I don't know where that ever came from in the first place. Something Johnson, about- Boris Johnson. It was. He Boris made it up. He made well. it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's what. Let's tie in with our with our leader on this one. Um, it's an interesting poll that only a quarter of voters think that Boris is the best leader to tackle climate change. Well, I am surprised that it's that many. (laughs) I I probably shouldn't be because after all, he did get elected. So, you know, there are plenty of people in the country that kind of rate him for something. Although you'd hope by now, a lot more people would have seen through him. But yeah, Uh, but I guess from his perspective, that's a pretty damning vote. From my perspective, it's damning for a different reason. Like what a bunch of dummies there are in this country if 25% of people think that. I often imagine what his motivation is. And I think his motivation essentially was that he wanted to just become prime minister. And as uh, one writer put it, you know, this was a man that wanted to be prime minister. He wanted to be able to say he'd been the prime minister. He just didn't like the bit in the middle, actually (laughs) being the prime minister, because that involves work and graft. And I think there's something in that. But it's interesting listening to him talking about the climate. And I, I kind of hear translations of Macron or Merkel making similar statements. Is he... Is he widely off the mark in terms of his proclamations on, on environmental issues, or is he singing from a, a kind of fairly similar hymn sheet to to other, at least other European leaders? Yeah, look, I think a hymn sheet is easy to sing from. Whether you believe it or not is a different thing, and whether you act on it when you go home after the you know the congregation or whatever is another different question. And this is where Johnson falls over. Yeah, he can say the right things, like the recent UN speech. Actually, it's easy to be green. I mean, it's so laughable that he said that. Um, but you know, he, he says the right things. We've got the zero carbon target by twenty fifty. It's too far out, but at least we have one, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. what we don't have are concrete actions to fight the climate crisis. What we do have are concrete actions to exacerbate it, to continue the old way of doing things. Further exploration of the North Sea for oil and gas. I mean, that happened in the last few months. Why on earth would you do that in the teeth of a climate crisis and the urgent need to do, actually do something about it? So he's yeah. way off the mark in terms of his acts, not his words. Is it true you're going to the Conservative Party conference next week? Yeah, I mean, the is. appearance of Dale Vince is like a eunuch in a harem, isn't it, really? It's like, what's going on at a Tory conference? <laughs> well, I have no idea about that metaphor, but, uh, <laughs> but I am going. And, and it is a little crazy, um, I think, but it feels like I should go. And I don't know why I'm going entirely, but I feel there's, you know, there's a chance to communicate. Probably it's about that, reaching out deeply outside the bubble and deeply inside a very different bubble just to try and talk. I want to talk to anybody that will listen about stuff generally, but green gas in particular, which we just launched, and and I have shared the plan with George Eustace, Environment Secretary. He says he is interested, but whether that's going to get traction or not, I don't Mm. know. But it's hyper important that it does because the government are on the wrong track at the moment with this heat pump plan that they have that will cost 10 times more and be so much harder to implement than a simple switch to a different kind of gas. So, um, you know, I'm going to meet my friend, the 
editor of the uh, Daily Express. We're going to have a chat. I think we're going to do an event for Redwall Tory MPs. I have no idea, actually, uh, why I would do that or, or what you know I might hope to get from that. But communication leads you to places you never expect to be. Well, what I didn't realize till a few years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, was that every conference, if you, went to, if you were at the Labour Party conference this week, you'd have seen lots of Tory people down there as well. They do. Ah. And similarly at other ones, because they often get invited to talk at fringe meetings. And, you know, I quite like that because I think, you know, you'd never get stuff done. And there are some curious, this curious synergy not on front on the front benches, but on the back benches. If you look at some of the select committees, I always find those rather fascinating, where they are cross party. Mm, yeah. They're all in agreement, and you think, well, why can't we do that in other areas of life? It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's quite right. This, you've got Yvette Cooper at one end and Philip Davis the other, and here they are, a left winger and a right winger, but absolutely joined at the hip on a specific issue on crime, for example. Yeah, yeah, no, I get exactly what you're saying, and I, I do think that if it's about influencing people which it is for me, yep. then th- probably, arguably, the most important people to try and influence are the government because they have all the levers of power. Uh, so it makes sense to me to try and engage with them. Um, can, I, can I say you're actually wrong on that, Dale? And I'll tell you why. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah. Because the, the group that you need to convince more than anyone, yes, it, the government are on the list, obviously, but number one are Mike Graham's listeners. <laughs> There, yeah, there is that as well. or maybe just mike graham that's a work in progress let yeah, me just say we, that. we had a we had a I, the reason i mentioned that because ben uh, dropped us an email and said i heard you on mike graham can gas from grass really be zero carbon when you've got all those tractors and farm machines involved in the process yeah it can um you know there are little details like that but it is possible to run farm machinery on uh, on biodiesel and electric tractors are not far away either actually. And we've scoped the project so that the fields that make the grass surround the gas mill itself. So we won't use lorries to transport it, just tractors and trailers. So, you know, it is one of those details, uh, Ben, it's worth flagging up. You know, there is some fossil fuel use on farms right now, but that's going to change in the very near future. So yeah, it is absolutely possible to have proper climate neutral gas, carbon neutral gas. Good work. I, I noticed as well, one of the other headlines that's snaking its way rather uncomfortably around the news agenda at the moment isn't just the cost of energy, it's the cost of absolutely everything, uh, it, it appears. Lots, lots of reasons behind that. Coffee beans as well are on the, uh, on the rise, it seems. Yeah, I saw that. And it, you know, it just made me think we should have a price cap for coffee now. And I'm being a bit tongue-in-cheek because I think it's ridiculous that we have a price cap for energy, but nothing else. We don't have one for food. We don't have one for housing. But many millions more people suffer food poverty and housing poverty than they do fuel poverty. And uh, we've got a government that's kind of socialist in some respects in, in terms of controlling the price of a commodity in one market and then free market in all the other respects. Housing developers can do what they like. They land bank land. They drive houses to crazy places. Private landlords do what they want, you know, and, and, and people, people spend so much more on housing costs than food and so much more on food than on energy. So you've got to wonder why have the government focused on energy? But yeah, here comes coffee. That's about to have a, a big spike in price on global markets. You know, these these friends of ours, these global markets where supply and demand and manipulation, uh, you know, just drives prices to crazy places from time to time. And, and I just say, bring it on because the more badness we see in the current system, the more chance there is that we'll change it. So we're not really just talking about the fact that your Americano is a bit more in, in the local Nero. It's, it's more than that. It's the, the picture is wider and bigger. Always, always, absolutely. 
Yeah, maybe we can – you know when somebody's in front of you at one of those places and they order a coconut chai skinny decaf latte with ice and you just think, that's going to take about 15 minutes. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, maybe we could start just by banning those people or those products and concentrate on coffee and then they would sell more coffee and the prices could come down. That's my contribution to the rocketing coffee bean debate. Yeah, but if there's a shortage of coffee, selling more coffee won't help. That'll drive the price the other way. So maybe we need more frappuccino, mocha latte, skinny dip, whatever <laughs> things, uh, in yeah. order to slow down the consumption yes. rate of coffee. Yes. Oh, look, here comes a decaf arsehole. Into the- <laughs> um, we should start naming them. Um, here's, <laughs> uh, here's one from John on Facebook. Uh, you're just another silver bullet merchant. Prove to me that your green gas plan will work, says John. He's very angry, Dale. Well, you know, silver bullets are a thing, don't you know, John? You know, they're, they're not just a thing of metaphor. Look, g- green gas uh, is not perfect, but oh my word, it's the most perfect answer we have to the problem that we really have of how do we heat millions of homes in Britain and obviously many more around the world? How do we heat them without burning gas? 24 million British homes are on the gas grid and they use fossil fuel gas to heat themselves. It's a massive problem, a big part of our carbon footprint. And the idea of switching to heat pumps to use electricity to do that is going to be incredibly expensive. Almost as much money as we spent on the pandemic so far, 300 billion pounds. The alternative that we're proposing is simply to make a different kind of gas. We have enough land. It's economic. It's one-tenth of the price at 30 billion. And we'll create an incredible new industry with nearly 100,000 jobs and so on and so on. Is it perfect? Probably not. But I haven't found any major flaws in it. Yeah. Uh, Many would obviously cite the meat issue, which is a factor in this as well. Well, you know, um, even Even if you're right, uh, and, uh, you know, I suspect you are, but many would say that's insurmountable in terms of not an instant solution, but at least the start of an instant solution. Yeah, but even there... The, um, the impact on meat consumption is minor compared to a number of different measures. So, for example, the uh, government's climate change committee says we need a, I think it was 20 or 30% reduction in meat consumption to get to yep. zero carbon. Uh, the national food report from uh, Mr. Dimbleby came out recently and said it was either 20 or 30. One of them said 20, one of them said 30. Actually, I get them mixed up. Uh, we need to, for the green gas plan, 1% per year for 10 years, just 10%. So comfortably under the minimum that the experts are telling us we have to achieve. And then compare it to what happened in the last 10 years, there's been a reduction of red meat consumption in our country of 30%. So comfortably under the background noise, yeah. we're really asking for nothing. Interesting. Um, here's a, fi- we've got a couple more questions, but here's a final story to look at. Climate change replaces the pandemic as insurers biggest worry now there's a shift isn't there well you know climate change has been a big worry for the insurance industry probably it probably started 20 years ago they've seen it coming uh you know a long time before most other industries did and i imagine all that's happened is that the pandemic came along uh and you know caused a big focus on that and was the biggest cost that was immediately impacting and as that recedes insurers are going yeah okay back to BAU which is actually this thing called the climate crisis is the biggest single threat that the insurance industry faces as it yeah. is for us as a species and a question from Kia uh, not that one on Twitter <laughs> is there what well, it might be is there a schedule of where you're going to be at COP26 yet no that was an easy one that was yes <laughs> no is the answer Kia <laughs> but uh 
I need one. I'm going to need one. I don't even have a place to stay yet. Uh, but I've had a few offers of, of debates and participation in various yeah. different things. Uh, most recently, the BBC have reached out and asked if I would be one of those reporters' friends that helped to uh, analyze the comings and goings of the yeah, event, yeah. which is which is super cool. I think that's off the back of the energy crisis, actually, where I did an awful lot of that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm definitely going to be there. I well, hopefully, definitely. hopefully, we'll be up there as well, and uh, oh. and and have you co-hosting alongside with me, which would be fabulous. Oh, right. This is talk radio, you mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. Well, as distinct from just me with my megaphone. <laughs> yeah, you and Kev, I thought. <laughs> I <can> imagine that. <laughs> Which is just as possible. It's just as possible. What about um, Mike? Is he coming? Well, that's a good point, isn't it? Can we drag Mike to Glasgow? I think we probably could. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, great no, entertainment, the, Mike. So. Yeah, it's fun. The Express are having an event as well, um, which is going to be very interesting. And you can imagine everybody's having an event, so there's yeah, going to be a lot to, lot to do. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely going. I don't even know when I'm going yet. It's, uh, but it's but go you will yeah Indeed. i will dale have a cracking week awesome we'll speak in seven days <laughs> yeah uh, that's dale vince and of course that's it for this episode don't forget you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider that means you get each new episode automatically leave a review there too and if you want to get in touch zero carbonista at ecotricity.co.uk and make sure you follow dale on social media you can do that linkedin facebook twitter etc twitter.com slash dale vince facebook.com slash dale vince and we'll see you in a week zero carbon east off